This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, Mother's Day, May 9th, 2021. My voice is already worn out from having to shout over the brunch crowd roar. But nothing will stop us from talking about viewership, blood and guts, and things of that nature. NHL viewership compared to AEW's viewership. Dark Side of the Ring is back with its number. AEW Double or Nothing will be at full capacity. Meanwhile, the country of Japan is under attack from COVID-19. The Big Forbes article with the interview from Chief Brand Officer Stephen McMahon. We'll talk about that and an update on AEW's pay-per-view sales for the Revolution pay-per-view in February. All that, but first. Now joining me for another journey into the world of professional wrestling business is our friend and colleague, Chris Gullo. Welcome once again, Chris Gullo. To Russell Knox Radio. I'm I am happy to be here. Another beautiful uh, Sunday as we record this. Yes. You got your I, I believe coffee and Yes. I got water with fruit slices, so I'm drinking out of my officially sanctioned WrestleNomics mug. <laughs> you went to uh to Betty's for Mother's Day, I heard. I was told by my yes. sources where they have vegan cuisine. Yeah, they have a lot of options for a vegan. There's not just like, hey, potatoes, and oh, I can get a veggie wrap with no cheese. Yes. There's actually more than that. You know, I haven't mentioned this yet in in, in, in your, uh, what is this, like your fifth week doing this? Yeah, I think so. I have not mentioned it because we don't want to turn anybody off because I know a lot of people have a lot of uh, mixed feelings, <laughs> polarizing uh, emotions about the, the world of veganism, but this is an all vegan podcast. All plant plant. I plant based is a better euphemism, isn't it? It's been much better podcast. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. a plant based podcast, but in the meantime, uh, rediscovering the Indies I've, I've heard is now, uh, coinciding. We can't call it a cause and effect necessarily, but there's a correlation between yes. your appearance here on this widely listened to podcast and an explosion in the listenership of rediscovering the Indies. Is that not the case? Yes, I, I, ever since I have joined this podcast, I've noticed an uptick in listens and social media activity on the Rediscovering the Indies uh, social media and, uh, you know, uh, as far as listens per month. And I want to thank your great audience who kind of came over there and I hope they're enjoying what they're hearing. Uh, we uh, were XPW part three will be coming out this month and there will be a part four of XPW. Uh, Part three was great because we got to go into all the drama of how Ring of Honor and CZW both hated them for being in Philadelphia. So, In fact, I've heard even a certain hardcore legend, independent wrestling Hall of Famer, you might say, has uh, interacted with your media recently. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you guys did listen, you know, XBW part two, a big part of it's New Jack throwing Vic Grimes. Well, I happen to post in a, one of those wrestling Facebook groups about, hey, listen to the podcast. And New Jack himself, heart emoji did, and then wrote, I believe he could fly mm-hmm. <laughs> in in terms of throwing Vic Grimes off. So, so we, we don't have confirmation that New Jack is actually a listener of the podcast, only that or just just the heart emoji. Yeah, we, we, we like to say he's a 
fan of the show, we think. Yeah. So now, now when we're talking about the, the different emoji, he, so this is Facebook, correct? Yes. Not Twitter, where that's the so only. He didn't do a thumbs up. Oh, right. So, so what I'm saying is he could have just liked it, thumbs up, but he, he went a step further and he gave it the yep. heart. He gave, he gave it, it the love. Heart. Yeah. Yeah. So, so New Jack feels passionately about that. And then all I could think of was we didn't say anything negative about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So you want to talk about, about wrestling business? We are, we are by the way, um, we are obligated contractually as part of the Voice of Wrestling Network to open with opening banter. Uh, so that is, that is in the contract as in our, our media, long-term media distribution agreement. So, <clears throat> um, but yeah, we can get right into the, the nitty gritty, as you say, uh, um, we, and we'll get into blood and guts, uh, the viewership of blood and guts, uh, which overall another impressive week for AW. I, I'm not surprised at all as I thought this was definitely going to attract some viewers. Plus they had some other matches on the show that were very, uh, very attractive to the, to what I think the typical wrestling fan in today's world. But, uh, yeah, so blood and guts, uh, and we can kind of get, get in the ratings and everything, but I guess you have some special audio here. I do. But regarding this, do you, are, are you familiar with, uh, the, the creator of blood and guts? Uh, yes. Are you familiar yes, with, with this individual? Let me take you back to July. Well, it was July 31st, not 2020. 2019, the before times, as some of us call it, uh, where one Vincent Kenny McMahon was on an earnings call, conference call. His ratings were in the toilet. He was getting a lot of questions about engagement and George Barrios, Michelle Wilson were still around. W popularity was apparently on the decline. Uh, one of the things that Vince decided to do to combat this decline was to hire two executive directors, uh, one being Paul Heyman, and the and the other is a former WCW and current uh, WrestleNomics fan, Eric Bischoff. Uh, so there, that had just happened, and uh, he was asked this question coming from Eric Katz of Wolf Research, one of the stock analysts, on the call, sort of asking about, well, you, you've got these new creative directors and. There had been either reports or rumors that maybe, you know, the content would get more edgy and, you know, would they push the envelope and do things that were, I don't know, more, more outside the TV PG rating. And so this is the, this is one exchange on that call from July 2019. Okay. And then, um, just coming back to the engagement a bit more, um, clearly you're addressing it head on with the big hires. Can you talk a little bit about the intended direction of the content going forward? Because if it's going to be a bit edgier, I'm just kind of curious how your partners feel, especially Fox, because the censors are probably a bit stricter for broadcast. Uh, we, we're going to be a bit edgier, uh, but still remain in the PG environment. Um, we just haven't come anywhere close, actually, to going into uh, another uh, level. So we, that'll be something we'll do in terms of uh, you know direction of content. Uh, more controversy, better storylines, uh, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, we're not going to go back to the, quote, attitude era, and we're not going to do blood and guts and, and things of that nature, uh, such as being done on on perhaps a, a new potential competitor. Uh, it 
We're just not going to go back to that glory, you know, crap that you that we graduated from. Uh, and again, it's a more sophisticated product. Uh, again, attracting uh, much better writers and attracting, you know, better management and things. So there's that. That's that's the exchange uh, where the phrase "blood and guts" was first uttered by Vince, uh, just sort of placing WB in in the in the world of uh, on, on the spectrum of violence, far on one side in AEW, on on or whatever potential competitor he may have been referring to on the other. AEW at that point had done two shows, I think. I think they had they had done they definitely done Double or Nothing, and I think they had just done the uh, the BR Live, maybe Fighter Fighter Fest or something. Where um, I think so. I- yeah. And the TNT deal was announced at that point too. So yes, which brings me to our to our next excerpt from that same conference call uh, with Laura Martin, the analyst from Needham, uh, who I, I, I would venture to guess at that point, maybe even today, had not heard of, of AEW. I would guess uh, she was asking about something completely different here. She's trying to get at, um, you know, ratings are down, but I think what she's kind of getting at, but not stating that as that clearly is that you're doing all these things and investing and spending to combat ratings and hiring these new people. When isn't it just the case that ratings are going to be down just because of the nature of the environment and why spend against that when you can't really control that and just sort of accept that this is what's going to happen with that metric. It's going to be down and just, you know, continue to to grow in other ways. So here's that uh, excerpt in exchange between Vince. She always calls out Vince and Laura Martin. Let's go to Laura Martin with Needham. Yeah, um, thanks again for taking the follow-up. Um, so, Vince, um, one of the things you said last quarter was that content, or your storylines and your content and loss of talent was affecting ratings. And although ratings got better in the quarter, we still have negative comp in um, not only ratings but live uh, live event attendance, and that's affecting consumer products. And, and you're, you're like the best businessman I cover. And my question to you is, at what point – do you decide that investing this extra money and hiring extra writers actually doesn't solve the problem because the problem is structurally shrinking ratings for the plat- that, that linear platform and the fact there's just more competitors coming to entertainment programming over, over the top. So at what point do you stop spending extra money trying to get the ratings up because they actually can't go up? What metrics are you looking for? So I'm going to pause it right there. Does it sound like she's talking about AEW in that question? Uh, I mean, I, I see with loss of talent the, right there. That was the, for me right there. And I think that's the most I got, I got from it. I mean, but yeah, she's basically saying, Hey, you've got outside forces that could be challenging your ratings. I don't think but she's talking. About, saying, I don't think she's talking about AEW at all in that, in that question. And the fact that she said the word competition set off Vince to say, Oh, as far as the competition is concerned, uh, the old adage of competition is good for everyone. I think that's generally the case. Um, although, again, we're hoping that, you know, to the extent that they are competition, that they don't continue on with blood and guts and gory things uh, that they have been doing, which would be bad. And I can't imagine that, you know, I can't speak for TNT, but I can't imagine they would put up with that. But nonetheless. And then about a year and a half later, is it about two, almost, almost two years later? On TNT, ain't no running, ain't no hiding. It's Blood and Guts, a dynamite special event. Oh, talking about animosity, you talking about hatred. Featuring for the first time in AEW. One of the most brutal matches ever seen. Two rings, one giant covered cage. Pinnacle versus Inner Circle is going to be a lesson in fire. 
Wednesday night dynamite event live at eight on TNG. So Vince McMahon has sort of uh, created this uh, this great brand for uh, AEW, you might say. And it was originally supposed to happen in Newark, New Jersey, uh, yeah. before the pandemic pandemic uh, happened. It was scheduled for like I think. Was it March? Yeah, I think it was going to happen right before, right around the time that the pandemic started. But uh, I, I think I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to make this sound too serious, but I think you know that Vince was clearly uh, at least on that call highly aware and, and very heightened to any suggestion that anybody would be asking something that would be referring to AEW, um, and I think it sort of flies in the face of the. Uh, PR message that WWE and, and their executives like to put out that they are focused on themselves and they don't think about AEW and AEW is like the NBA's G League in terms of the competition. We pay way more comp- way more attention to other forms of competition like the NFL and whatever else is on TV at the same time, which has truth to it. But you know, nobody else is a, as a direct competitor as uh, another player in the wrestling space, and AEW is a distant number two, uh, certainly globally, but uh, is a real competitor and a competitor for talent and a competitor for uh, the time and energy and market share for that consumers generally have for, for wrestling. It, I, I really wonder what Vince thinks about that now. What, what did they call their cage match? I, no, I, no, he probably doesn't even know. <laughs> well, I think he's, he's, he probably knows about it, but I, I think, you know, he, he's, he's trying to position that as we are, we're family friendly entertainment that advertisers and business partners can be comfortable engaging with and doing business with and having their brand represented alongside our brand. And, uh, you know, they're doing something that is uh, more outlandish and more dangerous and more violent and less family friendly. And, uh, they're occupying a certain niche and they think there's an opportunity there, but we're really by far the brand leader here in, in, in the world of let's not call it wrestling, but in, in sports entertainment. So I think that's, that's uh, his probably his position, and there's there's an argument to be had there, uh, but there's uh, you know that's one very small piece of the story I think. But yeah, we can get into the uh, viewership report of how they did with uh, Blood and Guts as well as all the other wrestling programs as we have a wrestling program every day of the week. Yes, so AW related program at least. Right. So AW Dynamite Sunday we're st- or Saturday is still. Open well if I guess MLW was on Saturday, but anyway, AEW Dynamite was number one on cable in P eighteen to forty nine. Uh, this was not their highest ever P eighteen to forty nine rating. Uh, they had about uh, I know the 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 demo rating. Uh, I don't have that right here, but the uh, the demo viewership comes out to about five hundred and forty thousand viewers, which is not their biggest. Uh, 1849 audience ever, but it is uh, among the biggest ever. Uh, the biggest ever by far is still their debut episode where I think they did a 0.68 uh, demo rating, but they did not finish number one on cable on the night because there was a, a baseball wild card game on ESPN that night that uh, greatly beat everybody on cable. Uh, but this is the first time they, uh, I guess, I don't know what the latest is on Challenge, uh, the MTV reality series, I think. Uh, there, uh, I, I believe the, the new episodes, uh, ended last week and now they're on some sort of reunion on this night. Anyway, AEW, uh, one on cable, the voice was on Fox. So the voice was the most watched program of the night. 
And uh, but AEW was the most watched program on cable. Warner Media put out a press release bragging about it the next day. Uh, so that's a, a big deal for them. Yeah, it's really huge, and uh, and and that's they're still around that you know back to that one million mark or over that one million. And honestly, I you know I bring up the live to tape thing. If there's if people know it's live and it's something you know special, like they're going to constantly be over a million. I think so. You, You'll have some dip offs under. Go ahead. So you really you think the the, the taped and the live matters? I I think so because the way they do the taped for AEW is is there is no audience in the crowd, mm-hmm. which yes that avoids spoilers, but it's just a different feel and they don't put the marquee matches on there that they would for a live show. Okay, like I mean the the, the taped crowd's going to get Nagata and. Uh, you know, and Moxley, which is pretty, pretty great, but you would wish that would be in front of a full live audience. Yeah. So Nagata and Moxley has already happened. I believe so. I mean, if, if they are doing the normal taping schedule that they do yeah, from the gist I get from is is that they do the live dynamite on Wednesday, they tape another dynamite Thursday night where it's just the extras as the audience. And then they tape the darks and the elevations. Okay. So they take two darks, two elevations, a dynamite, all between, I think, Thursday and Friday. Sure. So we could look into that. Uh, that's something I could look into. I just got to figure out which episodes are the taped ones and which one, ones are the live ones. There would be other factors to consider, like the strength of the other competition on on cable. Wednesday, I've, I've uh, there's a tab in the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, which all patrons get access to at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. There is a tab in that spreadsheet that looks at what it looks at Monday, uh, looks at you know every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, and sort of calculates which uh, day is the busiest for viewership. And so far in 2021, Wednesday has been the most uh, has the highest average viewership. Um, so, but a lot of that is related to uh, big news events happening on Wednesday so far this year. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we could look yeah. into. Um, so over a million viewers for AEW dynamite, uh, which is 22% up from last week. I'm putting together, uh, also part of the spreadsheet, a, uh, WrestleNomics viewership report, which I'm probably going to start putting out weekly. Uh, maybe by the time people are hearing this, patrons will already have access to the first beta version. Uh, so we do know that AEW Dynamite was up 22% in terms of total viewership from last week. Uh, if you just look at the last four weeks uh, and take the median of the last four weeks and compare it to this episode, which is a good way that I think that there is to look at how out of the norm was this rating? How unusual was this rating compared to normal? It's one thing to look back one week, but was was one was that one week an anomaly? Was that a big rating or, or a bad rating? You know, if you look back uh, on this episode a week from now, and, and this was a big built up episode, and if the rating is somewhat down, but down from what? Anyway, so if you look at the, the median of the last four, uh, the total audience was up only 9%. Uh, now, granted, I don't know that uh, we're at a point now with the, due to the time slot changes uh, of NXT where we have enough of a trail behind us for this to be the greatest measurement. But in a week or two, we're gonna that's all going to get smoothed out because that will be beyond four weeks in the past. But by the same measurement, by the meaning of the last four, this was up 20% in the key demo of 18 to 49. Uh, males 18 to 49 were up 
uh, even higher by 25%, and uh, males 12 to 34 up 47%. So big increases, especially in the male audience, uh, somewhat in the female audience too, but, but to a lesser degree. The P50 Plus barely moved compared to the median last four, up only 1%. So there's that. The lifers. Yes. They're WWE lifers. P50 Plus does is not a volatile metric, or is not a volatile demographic. So there's that. So, uh, yeah, so with the viewership report, uh, we can kind of break down uh, throughout the week. Let's first uh, talk uh, with numbers for the Randy Savage uh, biography, and then it was a Jerry Lawler uh, most wanted treasures this week. Is that who was on it? Uh, the, uh, the the Macho Man uh, biography was down from last week. Last week was the Roddy Piper. Um, it is now Sunday as we record this. Who's on tonight? Do you know? Booker T. That's I don't the- know who the most wanted treasures is, but Booker T is the uh, the biography. But Booker T may be the treasures too because he did film one of those too. Yeah. So uh, the Macho Man. Biography, uh, 790,000 viewers, down from 880 for the Piper biography. Uh, 400,000 in 18 to 49. Uh, so these uh, biographies continue to do well. Where they're starting to, uh, to uh, erode a little bit, but still doing better than NXT by a little bit. In the same week, NXT did 761,000 viewers and only 230 in the key demo, so the the biography nearly doubled it uh, in terms of 1849 ad demo viewers. Um, Miz and Mrs. Uh, also edged out NXT in the key demo. Yeah, 693,000 viewers for Miz and Mrs., 761,000 viewers for NXT, uh, but 280,000 viewers in 1849, 230 uh, for, for NXT. W's Most Wanted Treasures... About the, the, the same uh, demo rating, so about 280,000 viewers in 1849 for Most Wanted Treasures. Uh, in to- terms of total audience, though, uh, well behind NXT with only 563,000 viewers. I was just going to say, for the wrestling historians, too, Most Wanted Treasures was stacked because you had Dave Milliken, the belt maker, mm. and Bill After was on the episode as well. Mm. And then on Thursday, we have now... For for the moment, anyway, the Thursday Night Wars, where Impact is now head to head against Dark Side of the Ring, and this is where I've uh, I've put in the notes that we should start to make predictions. I I've not even thought about this. This is okay. something that we should have thought about last week. Was like, what is Dark Side of the Ring going to do? And as it turned out, Dark Side of the Ring did a bigger rating than uh, than Impact did. Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, with the, its first episode of the third season, this on Brian Pillman. This is a two-hour episode. I have the impression that most of these episodes uh, from here are going to be one hour. Does that, does that yes, sound right? this is the only one that's two hours. Yeah, this is the only one that's two hours. They're they starting to do that where they they find one topic that there's just not too much to speak about in an hour. Mm-hmm. So they debut it with two, uh, two hours. And then everything else is, is an hour going forward. And Dark Side of the Ring was viewed by 272,000 viewers, more than doubling Impact Wrestling at 123,000, featuring Kenny Omega, more more uh, ammunition for the people who think that Kenny Omega is not a draw, but it was going head-to-head with Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, 
in the key demo. I think it did a .09 in the, in the key demo for a rating, which comes out to about 120,000 viewers in 18 to 49. Compare that to roughly 50,000 viewers uh, for Impact in 18 to 49. So will Dark Side of the Ring beat Impact again this coming week? Do we know what the subject is? Yes, Nick Gage. So maybe not. I can you imagine? I, I hope it. <laughs> as a <laughs> as, as someone who thinks favorably of Nick Gage, I I, I hope it does well. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I I he's a very very nice man. Um, I've enjoyed the two shows I've worked with Nick Gage, uh, and I've enjoyed his presence. So yeah, I mean, if it does, I mean, I think it's going to do well. But it's one of those things where you got people want to know more about Brian Pillman because how big of a star he was. Nick Gage, I think it's still going to do a good rating, but it might not be. It's not going to have the same ratings that Pil- the Pillman episode had, had this week. All right. And uh, so, so Brandon, another thing uh, we haven't got to yet, the SmackDown uh, overnight rating is, you know, we do record on Sunday. So, uh, and the throwback SmackDown where, you know, we saw the referees with the blue shirts, a CGI fist, and uh a lot of 1980s throwback stuff that had nothing to do with SmackDown when it debuted. I know it takes me, it takes me back to those days of in the, in the Mm eighties of watching SmackDown on UPN and things of that nature. So I'm looking forward to uh, throwback NXT, hopefully to take me back to my, uh, my glory days in the nineties of uh, watching NXT on my tube TV. Um, Well, they have done NXT in your house. (laughs) That's true. You have to you have to exploit the nostalgia somehow. Um, we have an overnight rating as always. Uh, it looks to have done about two point one million viewers, which of course motivates headlines of SmackDown up because it was up. Uh, I think I think seven percent. It would be if 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 the overnight rating is correct, this rating will be up seven percent from the prior week. But you will you will see headlines say. The rating is way up. SmackDown, way up. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know. You got to, you can't, it, the, the nature of ratings is that you, you kind of have to create a massive spreadsheet to make sense of any of this data. But it's just numbers, unless you look, look at some longer range. Uh, and the wrestling media industry is, is not uh, an industry that is well invested in, I guess. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. But, or they could just say slight increase in ratings for SmackDown. But that would require looking beyond one week. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. Yes. Which is time consuming. And wrestling media is not exactly a many people, some people's full time job, but is in a lot of cases, the people who are writing the ratings article are not people who do this for a, for a living. They're maybe doing it for $10 or something. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's gonna be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably gonna get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. But here's a beautiful thing they don't even have to do all that work, Brandon. Do you want to know why? Because it's done on the WrestleNomics Patreon. Yeah, and it is updated five days a week. Yeah, they could just look at the the spreadsheet, and, the, the, and there the, it is. The, the the tough thing is, though, seriously, is that I think that's a good point of reference. The meaning of the last four, but that's a mouthful. And there's part of what what would what would make it uh, more easy to communicate this if there was a, a really direct, straightforward, simple, easily digestible to the reader sort of metric. And when I start spitting out things like the meaning of the last four weeks compared to the little, little, little like what the fuck, and it's, it kind of gets over the head of of the general reader. So that that is always the dilemma. So there's that. All right, so uh, we will uh, continue with uh, with viewership, but uh, move to because we, we won't we don't really have MLW ratings for this past Saturday. I would imagine MLW uh, aired on Saturday at noon, I think. On Vice. Yes. It did not make the top 150. So uh, it didn't do huge viewership. If it, I think, I don't, but here's the thing. Showbiz Daily is showing the, the cable originals. Is that an original? I don't, I don't know. Who knows how they would define it, but it did not make the top 150. But we'll see in the future. I would, you know, whatever it's time slot MLW ends up on, if they end up airing first run episodes on there, there's a good chance it'll end up in the top 150. I would imagine that the the built-in audience for it is smaller than the impact audience, which is just kind of barely making it some weeks, but it's making it. Um, there's been a couple weeks where it didn't make it, but it's in the, you know, today, this week, I think it finished in the 120th something. So there's, there's a decent chance that it'll, it'll make it to the top 150, but we'll see. 
and there's new episodes in July for MLW. Is that? We're almost taking a couple months off, yeah. Okay. Their next TV taping is July 10th in Philadelphia. Um, They'll have the crowd, too, uh, first time uh, for them in a while. Mm-hmm. So, And speaking of crowds, AEW Double or Nothing, the third AEW Double or Nothing, there has now been one Double or Nothing with an audience. There has been another Double or Nothing without an audience. But this Double or Nothing will occur with a crowd, according to Tony Khan on his weekly appearance. I think this is a weekly appearance now he's making uh, on Sirius XM's Busted Open, which we'll listen to the clip of Tony Khan talking about uh, full capacity at Daly's Place for the pay-per-view. Going to be over 1,500 people here tonight, and it's going to be really, really great. We've opened it up closer to uh, 40% capacity. And now, uh, you know, I'm planning as we get closer to double or nothing to, to start loosening it up. And I expect to be at full capacity outdoors for double or nothing based on, you know, what a lot of other sports have done. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, and and really, I'm, I'm just excited to get back to a sense of normalcy. You know, AEW's had a great run through the pandemic. It's crazy how much has happened. There's a lot of our biggest stars have never wrestled in front of the full crowd at 100% capacity, which is insane when you think about how many big people in AEW that applies to. So there's that. Uh, he was uh, speaking on Wednesday, so at first there he was referring to the capacity for uh, the Blood or Guts match, which I think is one of the, the only match that was happening live for the people there. But anyway. Um, which, you know, the full capacity thing, I find it interesting and it's a, it's good on their behalf that he's doing a slow build to full capacity because in Florida, there is no restrictions. No. You can have full capacity if you want, as we saw with the UFC. And as as we actually see here that there was full capacity at the Machine Gun Kelly concert. That's at, right. Was That was at Daly's Place. That correct? was at Daly's Place. Yes. Yeah. So that was full capacity. And Daly's Place is an outdoor venue. I think it's tra- retractable, right? But it's up, but it's outdoors. Yeah. So that should hopefully make it safer. Uh, May 30th, by the way, is the date for Double or Nothing. Tickets have not, not been put on sale yet. Uh, what is the capacity for Daly's Place? If our producers are listening, maybe they could look that up for us and uh, and shout it into our ear like, like Vince McMahon. Um, but uh, 1,500 is what they put in, the, where they had a... a Capacity for is what their capacity was for uh, blood and guts. Five thousand five hundred. Five thousand five hundred. Um, I would be surprised if they I, sell that out. I mean, that's also not having a wrestling ring, though. So, like, I'd imagine it takes it down a tiny bit mm-hmm. because that's just a straight concert, right? Yeah. So, is it too early to do this? Well, not in the opinion of Governor Ron DeSantis. Says you can do whatever you want in Florida, and don't you dare make anybody prove that they they have to be vaccinated to do business with you. Governor Ron DeSantis doesn't stand for that. But anyway, uh, yes, go ahead. Oh, you have comments about? I mean, Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, not so much Ron DeSantis. So, like, in my opinion, I think there should be a slow build to full capacity, but still definitely opening things up. Um, you know, not like, you know, I mean, in New York, they're opening things up, but the plan is to have a vaccinated section and a negative test section. You're talking about Yankee Stadium. Another governor. Yeah, well, just in general, yeah. Our governor, yeah. Andrew Cuomo, uh, 
reopening Yankee Stadium to full capacity um, in immediately? Not, I don't think it's immediately, but he says this is the plan he has to put in place. I think right now it's 33% capacity, but we're in Buffalo. We're going to host the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to be at 24%. But Yankee Stadium is going to be full capacity if you're vaccinated. And then there's going to be the non-vax section. <laughs> yep. Where, uh, <laughs> where, uh, well, they have separate concessions and, uh, things of that nature. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I think that it might be too soon for full capacity, but there's baseball stadiums in Texas doing it. In Florida, they've done it for events. It, it's it's outdoors too, which makes it it's outdoors. So, which I find interesting. Um, in oh, we'll go ahead. You got something else to add on that oh, subject? No, no, no. It was we were, I was going to transition to something else. So go ahead. Sure. Which I find interesting in light of uh, we've got Japan in a state of emergency. Um, New Japan is postponing its events uh, on May seventh. Uh, New Japan put out a statement, you know, saying that the Japanese government announced an extension of the state of emergency currently in place in Tokyo and other prefectures in light of this announcement, as well as current COVID-19 infection status. And in order to prevent any potential further spread of the virus, New Japan Pro Wrestling has arrived at the decision to postpone the Wrestle Grand Slam events in Yokohama Stadium and the Tokyo Dome previously scheduled for May 15th and the 29th, respectively. That was on Friday, last week, Friday. We didn't even talk about it, apparently. I, I, I missed that. And then on May 9th, nope, on May 4th, before this? No, no, wait. <sighs> there was more positives that came out very recently. Yes, yes. So. I've got my dates all messed up, though. Let's clear that up first. This is a statement. The statement that I just read is a statement that they made on Friday, like this most recent Friday. And then... Uh, on May, but previous to that, on May 4th, there's two wrestlers who have COVID-19 in New Japan. And then today, there was the announcement, I think today, Japan time anyway, seven more positives who are, I don't know if they're wrestlers or New Japan personnel to some extent. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see outbreaks like this late in the game. Uh, because of the vaccinations and all that. But with the stats here, uh, only one, you know, less than 1% of the Japanese population is fully vaccinated. So, uh, their, uh, you know, their chance to, to, you know, spread it is much higher, uh, as far as, you know, just on percentage of population. But the death rate has been in a quarter of what the uh, U S and Mexico has had as far as COVID-19 it, and it didn't seem like a country that had like, obviously when COVID first outbroke, you heard every country was having issues, but m much like Australia, it seems like they took it down and then all of a sudden an outbreak happened again. Yeah. It's, it's something I've been covering. I haven't talked about it in a while on WrestleNomics, but I, something I talked about a lot over the summer, especially when new Japan was, you know, getting this is new Japan. Remember new Japan didn't run from, March through the middle of July, I think, uh, is when they started to, and even they brought fans back into attendance at a limited capacity in the middle of July is when they, I think they restarted that. But it just, I think it speaks to the enormous differences that at least two countries, the U.S. and Japan, are uh, are 
reacting to COVID with at, at vastly different thresholds. Uh, we got the death rate, which you mentioned, is one quarter in Japan. It's it's one quarter of the death rate in the U.S. and in Mexico. And in the U.S., as we just mentioned, we're talking about open up Daly's place to full capacity, open up Yankee Stadium to full capacity. Meanwhile, in Japan, their death rate, which is a, about a quarter of ours, has started to rise. And they're saying, wait a minute, we can't do this Tokyo Dome show. I've, I've heard that maybe uh, that the Tokyo Dome show might end, uh, end up happening because the Tokyo Dome is maybe a, you know operated by the government or something. But And they're trying to make accommodations and not shut down every, you know, every business activity that there is. But, uh, yeah. And it's been like that throughout the pandemic. You know, the U.S. case rate, death rate, many, many times higher than it is in certain countries like Japan, but, but Japan being so much more careful in some ways relative to the case rate and the death rate. You know, in Japan, you still can't cheer. Everybody's got to wear masks, which, which everybody's going to wear masks in these U.S. venues as well. But uh, cheer in your hearts is, I think, what, what, the, what the guidelines were. Clapping only. <laughs> Americans are not going to clap only. Oh, hell no. They're not wearing masks. I watched baseball last night. Atlanta Braves. Nobody in the audience is wearing a mask. No, none of the fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, I wanted to backtrack. We did almost yes. skip over a topic. Uh, the AEW viewership compared to the NHL because sure. we talked about we talked about in the last previous weeks. Uh, you know, them possibly going to a Wednesday night time slot. Would it be on TNT? Would it be on TBS? And is it is it a smart move for TNT to move AEW off and put the NHL in compared to viewership ratings? And Brandon, with that, you dug in and did some research regarding this. I dug in deep. I, I busted out the big showbiz daily spreadsheet. Uh, maybe at some point we'll share that with uh, with patrons or something. But uh, I compared NHL to because uh, we were raising questions about William. Well, you know, what is the NHL viewership, and is NHL going to interfere with the normal time schedule for AEW Dynamite on Wednesday? Because Wednesday is this big NHL night. Uh, does the NHL do better ratings or comparable ratings, lower ratings than than AEW? By the way, it, it does sound like this is going to be a TNT thing. It doesn't sound like this is going to be a more so TBS thing. Maybe it'll be games on TBS, but it sounds like this is going to be a, 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 at least, yeah, it's going to be on TNT. Uh, just, just some of the articles I see where, where people are, you know, being hired and it's being reported that, Oh, there's the, you know, so-and-so is going to be, you know, covering the NHL for TNT when it comes to Turner. So I'm sure there are, there are other people uh, who know more about this than I do, but anyway, the viewership, AEW, basically the, the, the takeaways here are that uh, AEW Dynamite, um, even when it was opposed to NXT, easily scored bigger ratings than the Wednesday night hockey games on NBC Sports Network. And it gets complicated because Wednesday night hockey is not just one game necessarily. There may be a later game. So what I did was I said, uh, and then sometimes there's even earlier start games. So what I did was I said, I basically, I want to take the start times between like just before 7 p.m. Eastern and no later than 830 or so. So that we're really getting the prime time time slot game. And uh, yeah, it's it's not even close. AW greatly outpaces it. Now, uh, the volume is different, right? 
because if we're talking about what TNT is probably going to get, or certainly what NBC Sports Network has currently, far more hours of programming than than two hours per week, which is what AEW gives Turner. So there's that. Uh, but but there's really no question in either in the key demo or in total viewership that uh, AEW you know outdoes all but the the most highly viewed. NHL games. There's even some some examples of uh, Stanley Cup Finals games that were on NBC Sports Network that did not do uh, a normal AEW rating, and that's going to be even more the case when now we're in the era of AEW unopposed uh, by NXT, where they're going to who knows what they'll do. We're only we're in it. We're in an early, uh, not totally stable and normal. Uh, set of examples here so far, but there, it looks like they're going to do some, something around or maybe just under a million viewers and they're going to be doing a, a 0.4 ish in, in the demo rating. So, uh, that, and that's, you know, well above what, uh, NHL games, at least on the, on the NBC sports network we're doing. Now you, you would think maybe with TNT, TNT is probably a stronger network and TNT has other strong sports pr- programming that might funnel viewers over. But uh, even then, I'm not sure that NHL is going to do uh, competitive ratings with Dynamite. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that would work in favor of the NHL compared to AEW after everything you said is ad rates. I'm sure ad rates are better Absolutely. for hockey than wrestling, but that would be the only thing. Yes. Wrestling is still blood and guts and gory crap and things of that nature. And unless you're WWE, WWE's Great, maybe, but no, I think. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think ad rates it unites everybody. We'll talk about that in a moment. I, I know. Um, oh yeah, I think ad rates. I don't have any numbers on this. This is just a, a belief and an intuition, and sort of based on things that people have told me. I think ad rates have improved over the years. Uh, if you didn't give Stephanie McMahon credit for at least one thing, that it's it's, it's that that. WWE and pro wrestling maybe generally has become more advertiser digestible and uh, ad rates have probably improved over the last decade or so. Nonetheless, it's not a major four team sport like the NHL is. And so the NHL is probably at least on a per viewer basis, more valuable. And by the way, if you want to get this broken down in great detail, uh, go to patreon.com slash There's a, a post about this that was put out. This past week that I created, there's a PDF attached to it uh, that I think is like 20 pages. How long is this PDF? It is 20 pages exactly. And uh, it has every game from going back to uh, October 2018 to uh, late April of this year. Uh, going through all the details here. So you can remember $5 a month. Yes. That's all. That's all it is. It's like a, you, get a, you get a Subway sandwich or you get monthly access to the spreadsheet and to all this tremendous analysis. All right. So uh, we did uh, kind of tease it a little bit. Uh, there was a Forbes article uh, about WWE and uh, including their new slogan where they added a word to it. And uh, Brennan, you wanted me to kind of read the excerpts from this that you sent to me. I have some beautiful correct? passages for you to read. Uh, from this this article that was published on the fourth, what day of the week was the fourth? <clears throat> this this came okay. out on Tuesday. Okay. Um, 
on the Forbes Sports Money blog. Now, I, I think there's been some some very interesting stuff on the Forbes Sports Money blog about WWE recently, especially from Alfred Kanawa, uh, who, who does a very good job over there. Um, this this is not by Alfred. This is by a, a, a Mark, Michael Laurie. I think is how I, you pronounce his name, uh, who covers sometimes WWE and, and a lot of other things in addition to that. Um, probably a very nice person. Um, now, there's there's this we should explain first. Everybody's familiar with this Forbes brand, this Forbes magazine brand. They also have sort of a bloggy side of it, and then there's like the real Forbes magazine side of it, and this is kind of on the, the sports money blogs and more of a blog. So there's there's that distinction to make first. So there's this article. The headline is, New WWE Signature Sends Message of Unity and Inclusion. Again, this came out on Tuesday. Uh, and it's basically an interview with Stephanie McMahon. Uh, but go ahead. Now, now you can read the passages. Read passage one. All right. There's so, two passages here. Re- read the first one. All right. So surrounded by a collection of WWE superstars, chairman and CEO Vince McMahon officially welcomed 25,675 members of the WWE Universe in attendance at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida, and the millions watching at home to WrestleMania 37. The event for the first time in one year, one month, and one day since WWE hosted fans live and in person due to the coronavirus pandemic, WWE has been hosting virtual fans through its Thunderdome since August. But following cheers and chants for mass attendees who earlier had to endure a rain delay, the WWE signature played, which also featured a message for the WWE Universe, a compilation of superstars past, present, and future, and featuring iconic sayings and sounds, the 30-second signature displayed four words, then, now, forever, together. Yes. Uh, yes, W has always been about inclusivity. Um, so surely we've, we've set that up, and... Um, there's going to be some some questions maybe in the article about uh, how Peacock is, uh, you know, looking at the content and realizing, well, okay, you've got some guy doing blackface over here. You've got um, the CEO using the N-word over there, and you've got um, the executive vice president. Uh, oh, who you're, you're, you just happens to be your husband doing blackface over there, and, uh, you know – so there, there's things like that, and we could go through a number of other things in WWE's history that don't, oh, yeah. don't seem to necessarily support the idea that WWE has always been about uh, inclusivity. In fact, we even look at the, the current programming and look at things like you got you know Akira Tozawa running around like a ninja uh, and things of that nature. Uh, so surely there'll be some inquisitive questions to come in this article, right? Yeah. <laughs> what else does so, it say? Um, all right, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue with this. So ultimately, what the signature does, it recognizes our fans, it recognizes our community, and the message of inclusivity is so important. Chief Brand Officer Stephanie McMahon said, WWE has always been about inclusivity. Uh, <laughs> inclusivity, sorry. Uh, we are all about bringing people together, putting smiles on people's faces, and creating moments and memories that last a lifetime. And then they state that WWE is hoping to could turn continue reuniting its family with a return to live touring events in the second half of the year. McMahon confirmed that is absolutely the goal we're marching towards. She said in a non pandemic year, WWE's multi-sports entertainment brand allows the company to perform over 450 live events in the United States and abroad as fans eagerly 
anticipate a return to the stands for events like Raw, SmackDown, NXT. McMahon hopes the company's messaging, particularly through the pandemic, continues to let the WWE Universe know they are appreciated. She said the reaction to the new signature, whether from fans, employees, partners, or on social media, has been positive. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'll continue. Uh, she said, I think people feel it. That's one of the key goals of all time. McMahon said, Maya Angelou has a great expression. She said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. I live by that. It so perfectly describes human nature. If you can make people feel they are connected to you in a much deeper way, that has more meaning than reading a brand slogan or tagline. When it's something that impacts them emotionally, those are the things that you remember, and those are the things that you take away. Uh, she's busting out the uh, Maya Angelou quotes. Yeah, that that's the end of the article too. By the way, uh, we didn't read the entirety of it. You can yeah, that's it. You can go to to, to Forbes and and read it. Um, there's some there we didn't read everything, but I wanted to read a large part of it uh, so that it didn't seem like we were um, isolating certain excerpts. Well, it just seems like some of this wrestling media, you know, they maybe lean towards favoring the companies. Then, now, <laughs> forever, together. That's that's clever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, speaking of wrestling media, let's talk about the uh, Wrestling Observer. Uh, the, uh, they actually, the AEW note regarding the Revolution Television pay per view guys said that they won't know the number until sixty days after the event, but they are not expecting the number to be in the seventy-one thousand range. And uh, last week, the show was believed to have done eighty-seven thousand viewers based on streaming in the U.S. and the inter- international. So right. kind of jumping the gun a little bit on the uh, on the viewers there for Revolution. So the week prior, Dave wrote in The Observer that it looks like it's based on some information that he had. He apparently got some some data, some information from a, a single cable company. And from that, extrapolated that AEW must have done 159,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, I've previously reported that it looks like a good estimate for the, for AW Revolution was 125,000 buys. So what appears to have happened here is that Dave wrote what he wrote last week about 159,000 buys and then was told by those at AEW that uh look that that sounds too high. <laughs> so um <laughs> So I'm I'm looking forward to all the news sites who uh wrote wrote about Dave's report of 159,000 buys to to follow up on that. And uh I'm I'm also looking forward to the generations of uh of you know of, of listings maybe on on various websites around the internet for for generations to come that will list AEW Revolution 2021 as as having 159,000 buys because at one point the observer said so. <laughs> yep, they they got their number and they're not going to fact check it afterwards. Well, he he made an, an estimate based on numbers, real numbers that he got from presumably a percentage of the of the pay per view universe. Um, but we'll we'll see. Uh, I don't know. We won't probably won't see. You know, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, it's it's not like AEW is going to come out and say yes definitively. We confirm that the number is this. All right, so yeah, um, other than that, of the WrestleNomics Patreon, $5 a month, all those, you know, facts with the sheet, plus special stuff like the 
uh, w, um, with the AEW NHL comparison. But you get that viewership spreadsheet. It gets updated five days a week. I thought about, too, uh, on, especially on days where there's big ratings news that people get excited about, like last Wednesday because AEW, whatever, they, they finished number one for the first time. Uh, maybe uh, this would have to be a Patreon tier thing to just go through and read all the replies and the quote tweets. <laughs> and maybe that would even act as a deterrent. <laughs> there would be some interesting things there. Yeah. All right. So uh, social media, you can find me, Chris Gallo, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as my other podcasts, RTI Pod on Twitter, Rediscovering the Indies on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Uh, check us out. We'll be doing. We'll be releasing XBW Part Three uh, within the next two weeks, uh, where you know we talk about some fun stuff there, as far as the Philly Wars, uh, and then really the end of XBW. Uh, Shane Douglas being the Booker as well. There's a lot of interesting stuff, and you can follow uh, Russellomics at Russellomics. You could follow me at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston. He's Chris Gullo, and we'll talk to you next time.